Thank you for checking out the Missio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as He makes all things new. We are excited to pursue His heart for the greatest city on earth in the center of the city. Fam, I'm coming to you from a little bit of a different environment. We're in a makeshift studio in our bedroom because we canceled service kind of at the last minute but i still wanted to finish off the spirit and justice series and also just give you a little something to be thinking about as we go into next sunday which will be forgive us stunt sunday and also pentecost sunday so please invite somebody it'll be the same time 10 a.m at 1701 north richmond it's going to be a time of hearing from artists, musicians from all over the city, those with a message and a heart to speak about justice and injustice. It's just going to be a beautiful day full of God's glory and creativity. So I'll be looking forward to seeing you there as the last session, the last message in the Spirit and Justice series. This one is very important, which is why it was crucial for me to even speak this message from uh, my room. But um, we've been going through this series of Spirit and Justice just about Jesus not being divided in himself. That he is fully God and fully man. And as such, he is fully spiritually and supernaturally inclined while also being very much a man of the world. Understanding how to move through society and understanding how to begin to reform some of these systems. What are our, what are our takeaways? How do we continue to to do both, that we can pray powerfully for people, but we can also begin to see how we restore honor to the poor. We can see how we restore dignity to those who don't have much, how we can um, be those who can love the wealthy on down to different classes in Jesus' name, that we would be those who are not controlled by the way the world sees and categorizes people, but that we would love people based on God's perspective in the way that he sees me. He is always calling and encouraging us into more for us to be truly who we are. And can we do such in a world that is full of injustice? Um, And this week we're talking about destroying the dividing wall. As every message should culminate, so should every series culminate with who else but Jesus. The sacrifice that Jesus made on a cross for each and every one of us to grant us a new relationship with God, one that was not full of hostility or full of enmity as it's put in the Bible, but that one that's full of love, compassion, where we could communicate even across boundaries that in the Old Testament, it was a time where you had prophets and seers who spoke to the people for God and God who spoke through the prophets to the people. But once again, Jesus destroyed the, the veil that split that up and made that happen. And once again, we can be those who see and hear for the Lord of our own accord. This is such a beautiful core of what the gospel is. Jesus making a way for us on the cross in such a brutal way, in a brutal fashion, made a way for us to be able to access all of God's goodness, all of his love, all of his glory, and all of his mercy. Ooh-wee, this is the the good news for sure. 
And so we know Jesus being on a cross that it was this cup of iniquity that was poured out and even it was described as him drinking it fully to the dregs. And how did this cup of iniquity get full? It got filled because of us. Because of mankind as sinners, all we knew how to do was continue to mess up and continue to choose distance from the Lord. So this cup of iniquity was full and, and set in heaven and ready to tip over and pour out and to destroy everything in its path. And it was as if, you know, you ever seen those old Nickelodeon shows where people are about to get slimed and they're ready, the bucket is about to fall on them, um... Some are unsuspecting and they get completely slimed. That was mankind about to get slimed by this cup of iniquity. And then Jesus steps in a way and takes all of that burden upon himself to destroy the dividing wall between God and man and also to permanently leave us in a place of peace. All that's necessary for us now is to stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we begin to receive this gift of grace and also walk across him as the bridge into the arms of a loving father. In Ephesians 2, 14 through 17, it says, for he himself is our peace, who made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the father that we have been restored into this beautiful relationship with the father. We have been reconciled to him. Whereas there's two parties and two divisions, they have been divided for a while. We have now come back together. Jesus has permanently tore the veil. It's no longer a question of, is God upset? Can I approach the throne of grace full of boldness? Yes, is the answer. Yes, we can because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. There was this restorative work that happens and let our testimony always have this out the foundation that Jesus paid a price and a cost for us to be able to enter into a relationship with God. And as such, we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. But oh, reconciliation is not easy. Anyone that knows that they've had, ever had to go through a situation where they're hurt um, or they've hurt someone and has to have to ask for forgiveness or has to offer forgiveness, this is not an easy thing for us to do. We naturally, as humanity, desire to hold on to things because one day we may need to remind somebody that they are not perfect, that we would desire to even have leverage over somebody relationally just in case we may need it to show our superiority in our morality. But that's not always necessary. You see, Jesus walked a life perfectly, yet and still he laid down his right to be perfectly right so that he could take on this icky, slimy, horrible sin of mankind and be there for us in our stead. 
in 2 Corinthians 2, 16 and 19, it says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him, thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Now, there is a lot in this passage. One, I like to point out the famous part of passages like this. It says, um, old things, for if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In this optimistic culture we exist in, especially as Christians, it's easy to just repeat that one over and over again, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we're new. All things are gone. We're new. Everything is made new. And he, but the crazy thing, it, it was God not hiding behind Christ. But since they're the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that he was doing it as himself, that he wasn't hiding behind anyone else's sacrifice. And not just that, he did it to reconcile us, but he has given us the very ministry of reconciliation. That we see sometimes in this world, we are very good at taking sides. We are very good at saying what we believe. We're very good at saying what we don't believe. Apparently, according to this passage, none of those are the postures we are supposed to take as believers. Given the ministry of reconciliation, it is almost as if we stand between these two polar opposites and we begin to try to make peace with two desperate sides. Just as God made peace with us and God, Jesus made peace with us and God, so also we are called to make peace with each other. But the thing is, if anybody has ever been in the middle of a fight where fisticuffs are happening, people are fighting and swinging and stuff, we actually might get hit. We might get hurt in the midst of our peacemaking mission that we may have. Nonetheless, this is our call. It is not about us saying, establishing, this is what I do, and I'm against that side. Oh, wrong posture, Christian. We are called to be in the middle, to tear down this dividing wall, because this is what God has done for us. He has reconciled us to the Father. Therefore, we have this amazing ministry of reconciliation. In South Africa, after apartheid was winding down, um, there was this Truth and Reconciliation Commission that was commissioned, and it was led by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Now, their purpose was to uncover all of the heinous crimes that had happened during apartheid. And as you can imagine, when racism and power and influence and um, racist systems are involved, there can be some heinous things that go on. But they didn't want to make it compulsory. They didn't want to make it mandatory. What they wanted to do was make it voluntary for people to come and receive full amnesty on the condition that they said everything that they had did. 
And what followed was three years of catharsis where people were saying exactly the crimes that they had done. And even some of the victim's family attended it. And I'm sure there were many tears and there was uh, many consternation and, and, and much suffering again in the midst of finding out all these details. But there is something about catharsis that is important before forgiveness can happen. And forgiveness is a messy, messy process. It is nothing that is easily fixed and found, but it is um, going through a, a messy, nasty process of unearthing all of the bad things that could have happened and fully owning them. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission was very much um, applauded for the way that they handled the truth, the this time of truth telling. They uh, had not just criticism for those who are part of the state, a part of the government, and part of the police system. They had criticism for those that were even a part of the resistance, those who stood outside of humanity uh, and com and committed some unhumane acts. During this time, the Archbishop has this amazing quote and it says forgiveness is not cheap it is not facile or easy it is costly reconciliation is not an easy option it costs god the death of his son oh man if you're like me you remember the 90s where all these reconciliation rallies and it seemed to be something where we could just meet together and then we'll all be reconciled black and white lo and behold here we are it has not happened quite yet forgiveness is not easy and reconciliation is not easy this is why we would rather not do it. We would rather take sides. We would rather not have to be the peacemaker in the middle. We would rather not have to be the bridge because this is not easy. If anyone can imagine what Jesus walked through, what it took for him to bring these two sides together, imagine what it takes for us to begin to wield our love to see compassion come back again to our conversation, even here in America. When me and my wife got married, we committed our marriage and our union even to reconciliation. Uh, me being black and her being white, it was something that was very well thought off, thought up and a deliberate action on our part. Why? Because we knew we were heading into a tough world. We were heading into a world that even as we live in the city of Chicago was going to force us to choose one or the other. You have to choose a black neighborhood or a white neighborhood. You have to choose a black school or a white school. And people would tell us, you know, this is going to be tough. And oh, yeah, we understand how tough it has been, even not having somewhat a cultural place for our children that maybe they feel uneasy around white people in some ways. Maybe they feel uneasy around black people in some ways. And knowing that we go into white neighborhoods, we get looks. We go into black neighborhoods, we get looks. But knowing this is the path we've even called to walk. Me and my wife got married because we we're in love. This wasn't some sort of strategic decision that we made, but we do see how God is working it out for the good of us and those around of us who get to see a picture of the kingdom, two disparate parts coming together, being reconciled in love. And it's a beautiful thing. But I'm an optimist, but also I understand in reality that division still 
persists. In Genesis 11, 5 and 7, it says, But the Lord came down to see the city, and what city is that? It is the Tower of Babel, which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. The Tower of Babel was man in the beginning, still in Genesis 11. So the earth was yet an embryo at this time. Men deciding to flex all of their ingenuity and muscle and build a tower to the sky, knowing that obviously God lives in the sky as opposed to where he really lives, which is everywhere. He's completely surrounding us. And God said, let me confuse our languages because I won't be able to keep anything from them if they work together united. When people say, why should we be reconciled, especially black people and white people in this country? We have never been conciled. We have never been on good terms. And I think of reconciliation as going back to Genesis 11, 5 through 7, that God would see such unity arise from us that nothing would be withheld. As if a father who can't help but spend all of his money at an amusement park because his kids are having fun and enjoying themselves and laughing and actually getting along. I can very much identify with that. Knowing that division has always been the enemy's plan and his goal to keep us separated. The same tactics, divide and conquer. Those even who go through situations where they're struggling with darkness, it causes us to take more and more and more space from the very people who could help pull us out of it. And that's why I understand church with all of its flaws and all of the news that continues to come out about people who are abusing power and manipulating power and position, keeping in mind that it also happens in corporate situations a lot, but the spiritual is considered higher even than the corporate in the world that we live in. And I understand the authority and the responsibility and the accountability that's necessary to minister to the people of God. But there is something about being at church that is not perfect, of course, but that bringing people together, we can come and be encouraged we can hear the gospel. We can worship and love each other in this situation, in this instance. It is beautiful and it cannot be replaced. I don't care what people do on Sunday morning besides go to church. I think it's awesome. Do what you would like, but you cannot replace the church. It is the best defense against the enemy's tactics to divide. Too bad that so many churches, as Martin Luther King would say, that 11 o'clock on Sunday is the most divided or segregated hour in America. Let that one day be one of unity. That it'll be God's plan that we come together and understand how united we're called to be. One day, not long ago, exactly about uh, 11 years ago, we had a school of evangelism at the church that I worked at before, GCC, and we decided to go out and hit the streets. And what proceeded as we assembled our team 
was about 40 people. And so some of these I have images for, and I'm going to put them in the story so they'll go along with the message. But uh, we have 40 people who went out from all races, all ages, generations, social economic classes to touch people on the street, to pray for people. We saw people get healed, people get encouraged, people just generally have their lives changed by all of these folks who decided to come together. And that is what is amazing about unity and diversity, that when it happens, God is guaranteed to show up because he loves when his kids play together. That even as we live in a world where COVID has happened and people continue to choose distance for health reasons, that this is something that makes the enemy thrive. It, it makes him excited when we choose distance, even if the threat is low, as now it seems to be rising. Even when a threat is low, people are still in a habit of taking distance, that it is very difficult to choose each other and to choose to meet together and to choose to be together. But I promise you, this is one of the greatest weapons for the darkness that seems to be running rampant in those who are listening to the voice of the enemy telling them that they are all alone. But I promise you are not alone. I just pray for you right now that God would help you see and know the unity that he's giving you and the love that is in his heart for you. Wherever you are, no matter what kind of darkness you're struggling with, may God, may this, even my voice going out, may it bring comfort and love and strength to you. And finally, Jesus prayed for us for unity, that we would be together, that we wouldn't be floating solo that we would make the Holy Spirit excited when we gather and when we meet. Ultimately, oneness is the goal that we would be together. In John 17 and 20, it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and that the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me, that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. Jesus is not hoarding any love. He is not hoarding any connect, uh, connection. He is not hoarding all of these beautiful gifts that he's brought to earth, but offering enough access to them through the ministry of reconciliation that we would come together. So my question to you today is what are you doing for the cause of unity? Are you becoming more established and more polarized in this political environment? Or are you sitting and standing as a bridge why Jesus spiritually has reconciled us to the Father and we practically, it is time for us to help each other be reconciled to each other. This is the essence of spirit and justice that we will understand we have a supernatural empowerment but also a very natural responsibility. That is the essence of what justice is. We have a natural responsibility to take care of widows and orphans. We have a natural responsibility to care for the poor. We have a natural responsibility to be those who stand in the middle of disparate 
groups and begin to be a bridge and a peacemaker even in the middle of this. When we are together, we are more alive and dangerous to the agenda of darkness. Wow, that we would be one like Jesus and the Father are one. So as I said before, of course, the path is for us to continue toward forgiveness that Jesus by standing and taking all of this iniquity upon his only his body that was from mankind has reconciled us and we have been forgiven if we stand in that place this is how we begin to heal as a people that forgiveness must happen but we have not arrived at our place of anger at our place of um, hurt at our place of dispassionate apathy easily that we all have a path and it we all have a path to forgiveness and reconciliation but I pray that we would be on that path next week we're having our forgive us Sunday and this idea came from a time shortly after that was similar to right now with a shooting that had happened at Mother Emanuel Church in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And that it had uh, caused so much pain and it had caused so much suffering um, all around the country. And I began to say to myself, I was sitting for a while, I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do about this? I feel like I've been called to this ministry of reconciliation. How can I begin this path and this work. And I heard the word forgiveness. And I saw myself with a backpack and a scroll inside of it. And I got this whole idea of doing these events. And fortunately, even when we were in our RVs and we traveled around the country, we were able to do them in other places as well. This idea of beginning to foster forgiveness, that we would have artists and creatives and musicians come in and begin to speak with catharsis about the state of justice and injustice in our country. And as a result, that this would launch us on our path towards healing. Now, this is a long path. As an optimist, I like to think that there is an easy solution and a short path. But this is a long process of us beginning to dredge up all the hurt and all the pain that has happened some across centuries, even across thousands of years that even as black people and other groups in this country carry this pain and carry this trauma even in their bodies. But just as Jesus released us from the same trauma of being separated from the Father, let us also do the same. I have hope for black people and white people in this country. I have hope for all of um, racial groups to be together. I have hope even for the Hatfields and the McCoys, I have hope even for Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, as it may be called. I have hope for Israel and Palestine. I have hope for all the number of nations that have suffered under so much genocide and pain that they would find a way to forgive and we could be reconciled together, that we would be one just as Jesus and a father are one. There is nothing greater than that. The unity of spirit and justice happens when we understand that we have been given this baton and this ministry of reconciliation. Father, I thank you that you have given us this wonderful 
amazing ministry that we would see how precious it is and how needed it is at this time. As we are more divided than ever and people are polarizing themselves and taking sides, Lord God, may we be of those who decide to love each other, to be this bridge in the middle. Although we risk hurt and discomfort ourselves by holding back the two sides and forming peace in between us, let us be peacemakers, not peace keepers for peacekeepers need weapons, but peacemakers only need courage. Let us be like those, Father, and we bless your holy name. Thank you that we are on the path as Missio Day Humble Park and as a wider church to walk in the fullness of spirit and justice, just as you have called us to, that we would move supernaturally in the love that you have created, but also let that love work out systems of honor, restoring dignity here on earth. May we thank you.